Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Hi, this is Graham Brown. You're listening to Asia Tech Podcast, Asia Matters, broadcasting to you from a very thundery Singapore, under the moody skies, under the tropical skies of Singapore. So if you hear it rumbling in the background, that's not my stomach, that's the uh, impending storm coming this way, such as life in the tropics. So let me talk about what's coming up in the next 30 minutes and uh, what I want to share with you, some of the news from the world of Asia Tech Podcast and some important news as well about the, uh, there's a piece of breaking news in the last week about Bloomberg, um, China. That's uh, Michael Bloomberg. That's not just the Bloomberg Media Network. And I think it's pretty important because it's a significant step. It's a milestone in the Asian century. And if you listen to any of the previous Asia Matters podcasts here on Asia Tech Podcast by myself, you know, it's all about the Asian century. So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the um, Asia Matters Institute and how you can get yourself a copy of the report from there free. So I'm going to share with you some stats today about Asia, about China, about the startup ecosystems. And pretty much all the stats that I'm going to share with you today, you can get from this report, which is free. I want to also tell you some exciting news about Singapore and Asia Tech Podcast setting up a studio in Singapore. I want to share the news on that, what it's about. What does that mean for the Asian tech ecosystem and also the podcasts here? Switching gears, but not unrelated to the last point, I want to share with you the news of the Asia Tech Podcast internship in Singapore. So if you're a student or you're a new graduate or you're looking to get into the world of media, I want to share with you some details on how you can do that and help us build the Asia's fastest growing media network. Help us build the MTV of the startup ecosystem. And lastly, my travels. So if you want to meet up, opportunities to meet in Shanghai, Hong Kong, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia and Singapore over the coming weeks. Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. As the thunder rumbles in the background, let's talk about the news, which is that uh, billionaire Michael Bloomberg, Bloomberg of the Bloomberg Media Network, has been in the news talking about his, what would only really be described as the, you know, arrival to Davos. But, you know, rather than just do another Davos, he wants to build a Davos which is focused on Asia and the Asian century which is great because that's really sort of vindication of what I've been talking about here for, you know, the last, well, the last year and a half, which is the Asian century. So it says, and I quote from the South China Morning Post this week, that Bloomberg's launching a new global conference and he'll be bringing in the policymakers and the CEOs from all over the world, G20, you know, presidents, prime ministers, and so on, and it will be in partnership with the government-backed China Center for International Economic Exchanges. And there's a few names in there. Henry Paulson, who's the former U.S. Treasury Secretary. Uh, Bill Gates is in there somewhere. And, uh, you know, all the, all the names that you would expect really to make a, uh, a powwow of, you know, unrivaled influence 
Bloomberg will be bringing these people together. And the difference being that whereas Davos is a, a global conference, this is really you know, focused on China and the Asian century. And it will be in Beijing. The inaugural session will be in Beijing this November. And this is really interesting. So, I mean, why is it interesting? Well, it's interesting because this could be the most important event of the year, besides maybe the, uh, the Trump-Kim Jong-un summit, which may or may not go ahead in Singapore here. But uh, economically, this will be the most important meeting, event of the year. And it's interesting because until now, there really has been no global event which has been based in China. And that's really a symbol, and I suppose a nod by Bloomberg to China, acknowledging their role and Xi Jinping in, in particular in the, in the global ecosystem. And if you want to know more about Xi Jinping, the leader, the lifelong leader now of China. There was a great interview that I did with uh, Kerry Brown, Professor Kerry Brown here on Asia Tech Podcast, talking about Xi Jinping and his, his background, if you want to know more about this leader, because we don't really know a lot about Xi Jinping in the West. So he's going to be featuring more in the global media platform in, in the coming weeks, months, years, whereas, you know, we know a lot about Donald Trump and, you know, we know the ins and outs of his personal life, unfortunately. We don't know a lot about Xi Jinping. So go and check out that interview with Professor Kerry Brown and get a, some background into the man who's probably going to be the most important leader in the world in, well, certainly for the next generation. So talking a little bit about the Michael Bloomberg's rival to Davos, all about China. Let's talk about what's going on. So obviously Bloomberg was the former mayor of New York City and he's planning to launch this conference which is going to be a rival to the World Economic Forum in Davos, which the, the World Economic Forum, and especially if you're on LinkedIn, it produces a lot of content. It's a real uh, you know, thought leader in terms of generating content, generating ideas. And it's really where the who's who of politics and economics meet. He's got Hank Paulson on board. He's got Henry Kissinger. He's got Bill Gates. And it's really sort of, you know, acknowledging China's lead in the global ecosystem. And I think what this means is that now when you have Bloomberg on board, you have all of his media network, you really have now the West getting on board with the fact that this is the Asian century. And this is a platform for Xi Jinping. It's a platform for uh, all the Asian CEOs of tech companies to get out and present their face to the world. I mean, obviously, we're familiar with Jack Ma on the Davos platform. However, you know, not many people know about people like Pony Ma or the Air Asia. CEO or, you know, who runs Gojek or Grab, et cetera, et cetera. But really, this now is an opportunity for them to get out onto the global platform. So it's going to be very interesting how that shapes things. So let's look at why, why this is happening now. There's a number of contributing factors. And what I want to do is share with you some data from the Asia Matters report which uh, I published this year. Uh, 
which is really a collection of headline stats as to why Michael Bloomberg's event is taking place. It's really sort of the contributing headline data that validates that this is the Asian century. At the very base level, let's look at the size of Asia. Well, Asia is a $27 trillion economy. So to put it into context, it's 50% bigger than the US, 50% bigger than the EU. So already Asia is two-thirds the size of, was that three-quarters, need to work that one out, of the US and the EU combined. So it makes sense now that that, that that market has a voice and it really doesn't have a voice until now. Its voice until now has been sort of, you know, being a, a, a secondary voice in platform, on platforms like Davos, for example, which are really sort of dominated by the Western narrative. Now add to that, this, this is what I believe to be the biggest growth story of the 21st century, the Asian middle classes. Now, the Asian middle classes in 2009 numbered 700 million. By 2030, so about 20 years later, they'll grow from 700 million to 3.2 billion. Think about that. The middle classes has grown from being the effective population of the US and EU, which it is now... So it's about, I mean, the Asian middle class is uh, well over a billion, but so if you add those two markets together, that's the size of the Asian middle class. By 2030, so I mean, it's not that far away, 12 years away, by 2030, the Asian middle classes will comprise two-thirds of the world, will make up two-thirds of the world's middle class. So two-thirds of all the world's middle class will be living in Asia. And they will be three times maybe more, four times bigger than the population of the US and the EU combined. Value-wise, it'd be worth $36 trillion or twice the size of the US economy today or the complete size of the US and the EU economies joined. So just think about that, that right now the Asian middle class is if you took them as a standalone market, they're the biggest market in the world. By 2030, they'll be twice the size of the US economy. That is why Michael Bloomberg realizes that our Western hegemony, and it's a word that I use you know, a number of times here in, in, in the podcast, is that you know, it's not just about economics, it's about the cultural narratives. Our Western hegemony, if I can say it right, hegemony is you know it doesn't fit the reality which is emerging now that in the asian century that for the last hundred years this has been about the u.s and before that the uk britain but now it's changing and the media world has to catch up with that so if you look at the Asia Matters report, there's four important steps in how this is evolving. And Michael Bloomberg's you know, move to set up a, a rival to Davos in Beijing is really you know, a, a, a manifestation of one of these steps. So if you go to the Asia Matters report, and by the way, you can get the Asia Matters report if you type in asiamattersinstitute.org or more easily, 
www.asiamatters.net www.asiamatters.net and that will redirect to the institute where you can get a copy of the report for free we're talking about four steps the the evolution of the asian century in four steps and we started in the 80s and 90s with the demographic advantage of asia which was the markets of billions which enabled asia to produce more and cheaper they then took the capital that they created from their demographic advantage and invested that in better factories, in more skilled workers, in better education. And now we, we see that wealth generation happening. So we see this emerging middle class, this emerging middle class that I've just talked about, that's step two. The emerging middle class now creates skills, creates talent, creates innovation, creates wealth, and reinvests that in the innovation advantage, which is step three. And we're starting to see this. We're starting to see this because now, take AI, for example, and big data or automotive, especially autonomous vehicles, we're now seeing Asia taking the lead. So the, the most valuable AI startup in the world is not in the US, it's in China. It's a facial recognition company and it's based in China. It could be the most valuable startup in the world at some point, but it's certainly the most valuable AI startup at present, and it's in China. And this is important to realize because this is the manifestation of step three, which is where Asia has more entrepreneurs. It has more big data. It has more consumers, but wealthy consumers. And it has more technology and more innovation. And it's happening now. 2018 is happening. The innovation advantage is step three. It's emerging. And what happens then is once you have step three, you have the base by which Asia can move on to step four in its evolution, which is the global hegemony, which is where Asia becomes the default option. And that's not just default option in terms of technology. It's the default option in terms of culture, and media. So Bloomberg's rival to the World Economic Forum is um, a start. It won't become a rival for, you know, in the first iteration of that event, but it will take time. Just as the Asian century emerges, it takes time. It takes people to take some risks to start these kind of projects and, you know, get the thing going and get people on board. But this isn't a startup. This isn't a two-man startup starting an event in China. This is Michael Bloomberg, the former mayor of New York, starting an event. So this is the beginning of the global hegemony. And that's the fourth step. And that is where... So anybody graduating the best universities in the US or in the West, when you have a global hegemony which is dominated by Asia, what now happens is rather than those, uh, those, the, those talented individuals looking for jobs in the US or starting startups in Palo Alto or the Valley, what they'll do is they'll turn to Asia as a default option. And we're starting to see this. We're starting to see that talent moving to places like here in Singapore. We're starting to see that talent um, starting businesses across Asia. And now we're starting to see 
the artistic, cultural and media talent coming to Asia as well. So that's the four steps. And if you want to see how that's laid out, get a copy of the Asia Manager Report, which really talks about how the Asian century will evolve in the four steps. And we're seeing signs of the Asian century all around us now. You know, this is not just an extreme position held by a few startups and a few more higher risk pioneers. This is people like Michael Bloomberg getting on board, Bill Gates, Henry Kissinger. So by 2020, China will become the world's biggest economy. The tipping point happens in two years. It's just around the corner. And by 2050, China will be $13 trillion bigger than the US. So this is what's happening. It's happening on our watch. And what does that mean? So it means if you want to stay relevant, that you can't exist in the Western bubble that has done us well for the last hundred years. You just can't do it. Obviously, Bloomberg gets that. Now what's happening is, you know, conference producers, event organizers, media, et cetera, et cetera, are coming to Asia and they're looking around and saying, who do I need to speak to? Where's the soft landing spot? And, you know, how do, who are the trusted people that I can work with across Asia? And that's why I set up the Asia Matters Institute. Again, you know, go to asiamatters.net. That's why I set it up because... You know, I was getting so many inbound requests from conference producers, uh, corporates who wanted experts on Asia, and they didn't know where to go. So I set it up really in the first place as a, as a platform to connect experts in Asia with their own specialities, with people outside the region, also people inside the region who are looking for those experts. There is nothing out there like it. So I set it up really just as a, a project to get things going, just to react to the need. And um, yeah, it's been great. I mean, we've got experts on it already. Uh, we've got, I think, about six or seven experts. And, you know, if you consider yourself an expert in Asia on a specific vertical or specific market, you could be really niche, I mean, you could be specific about social media in Myanmar, or you could be, you know, a, a China expert, or you could be a you know, digital transformation expert in Asia, whatever it is. If you have a speciality and you're out there speaking already, and, you know, if you have a podcast or a blog, then go and check out asiamatters.net. And... Um, you know, if you feel that you can, uh, you know, you can add value to that, if you, you know, qualify for the Institute, then contact me through it. Because, you know, we want to make that Asia Matters Institute a showcase for all the best talent in Asia, just to make it easy for people like Bloomberg, for example, if they're looking for speakers or they're looking for people who can help them organize those kind of conferences and getting the voices that they need because you know as much as people like bill gates and henry kissinger know their stuff same with jack ma and pony ma from tencent for example they know their stuff but they also need the people who are making the asian century at the grassroots level not just the celebrities the people who are actually you know in the weeds who are creating the asian century around us the ecosystem builders and that's us so that's Bloomberg China and the Asian Century, the Asian Matters Institute. I want to tell you about the uh, 
the developments of news in Singapore. So some great news here in Singapore, and you'll be hearing more of this in coming weeks. The Asia Tech podcast has a studio. It has a physical studio, and it starts this week in Singapore, which is great because really the, the three main cities, that axis um, of Asia really is Singapore, Hong Kong, Shanghai. I know, for example, Beijing has a huge startup ecosystem, but it's very internally focused. And, you know, people will tell me, people will listen, I'm sure you're listening to this podcast and you go, oh, but what about Manila? What about Bangkok? I say, great. You know, these are fantastic cities. I love them. Same with all the cities. But, you know, if I was to pick three cities in Asia through which the, the money and the talent operates, it's those three, Singapore, Hong Kong, and Shanghai. And these are very deliberate choices because they have both talent, they have a lot of entrepreneurialism, they have capital, and they have contacts with the world. They're not just focused on their own ecosystem. They're not just focused on their local market, which is probably more the case of a lot of the other cities around Asia. I'm not knocking those cities. I'm just saying those are the three cities that make complete sense to have a base for Asia Tech Podcast. So the base in Singapore is done. And I would like to thank the team at Platform E in Singapore because they really are the ones who have made this possible. And it's a really interesting case study. So I'll tell you a little bit about who they are and what it's about in a minute. So I came to Singapore. I wanted to set up a studio. That was the goal. Because if I had a studio, I could take Asia Tech Podcast to the next level. I could also organize events. I could help build the business. It certainly helped with sponsorship and so on because people could actually see this thing. It had a third dimension and so on. However, you know, I, I came to Asia Tech, I'm sorry, I came to Singapore and there were so many options for studios. I could have gone with the traditional real estate play and just sort of hired some office space and there was a lot of that. I could have gone with co-working spaces and they've been fantastic in, you know, reaching out. But I went with the team at Platform E because I believed in their mission. So let me tell you a little bit about Platform E because there'll be a podcast coming up soon about Platform E and the team there. So just let me give you a heads up on who they are because they're going to be more, you're going to hear more about these guys on Asia Tech Podcast in coming weeks. So Platform E, and you can get their website from platforme.asia. Platforme.asia. Now Platform E is a, effectively, a, a, you know, it's, it's a space. It's a, a co-working space. It's an incubator, an accelerator, um, it's a community. And I know a lot of co-working spaces set themselves out as such, which is fine. They all kind of do their own take on community and so on. The difference with Platform E is this. Firstly, I mean, obviously it's based in Singapore. It's the people running it. So the two people that I work closely with are Rina Nia and Abdul Malik. And you'll hear a lot about them, as I say, in coming in coming weeks. But I think it's so important, you know, when you, when, you, when you have a goal and you put your goal out there, you work with the right partners and they are, they think like entrepreneurs, they get shit done and I love that. And the fact is they, they say, look, this is our vision for Platform E, we wanna build an ecosystem. Uh, Platform E is affiliated with SIM, which is the Singapore Institute of Management. 
they're obviously closely aligned with the government, so they have resources, they have space. They're not thinking just about monetizing seats, headspace, you know, head, head counts, sorry. They have, you know, the best of both worlds, which is really the governmental resources and entrepreneurial minds. You think about marrying those two together, you know, you don't have a situation where everything has to produce revenues and profit right here, right now, which is more of the sort of the real estate play, which is just bricks and mortar. You have people who can, who can go in and sell a five-year vision, which is great, which is absolutely what you need. So when I spoke to Rena about my goal with Asia Tech Podcast, I said, look, you know, I want to build a community. I want to do events. I want to build a studio. She said, look, you know, this is what I'm doing at Platform E. Let's do it together. So putting Asia Tech Podcast in Platform E helps Platform E by bringing the footfall. So all the guests, you know, the investors, the startup entrepreneurs, the VCs, the ecosystem builders, they all come to Platform E which will help build that community. There goes the thunder. And at the same time, Platform E helps Asia Tech Podcast because it has the resources and the space. And at the same, you know, they're not thinking, right, you know, we need to make money out of you in the short term because they understand this is a long-term play for both of us. We can make it, you know, create a lot of value here and build that community without simply making this selling me four or five hot desks. So that's the, the, the story with uh, Asia Tech Podcast in Singapore. So my, my vision with that, I mean, what I went to Reno with was, you know, this vision of building a media platform for Asia. You know, I see it as the, the MTV of the startup world. And some people think I'm crazy, but you'd be surprised when you tell people these visions, how some people want to help you out. <laughs> Did you hear that? I don't know if that mic picked it up, but there's some real thunder and lightning shenanigans going on in the background here. So tell people your biggest goal. You know, and I, I've discovered this with networking as well. It says rather than going out and saying, hey, you know, this is what I do. I'm, an, you know, I'm a, a podcaster. I have a, a media show, you know, and I talk about, the Asian century and I interview really interesting people on the podcast and so on. Rather than tell people what you do or who you are, tell people what your biggest goal is. Because it's going to polarize people. On the one hand, people are going to say, ah, yeah, well, you know, yes, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And you know those people are a waste of your time. So you've already pre-qualified whether or not you should be spending time with that person. And the second, people, second group of people was hear you out and say, Tell me more. I want to know. That sounds amazing. The first group of people are energy takers. You have to justify yourself to them. You have to be explaining yourself to them. They will suck energy out of you. The second group of people will, will, are net energy givers. They're saying to you, yeah, you know, I was used to be in radio. I want to contribute to your radio platform. How can I help? Can you see the kind of difference that instead of saying, this is what I do, saying what your biggest goal is, what kind of impact that has on people? And I've had phenomenal success with that. And I've realized that, that 
you know, instead of messing around, just telling people what I do, just go straight to the main point. This is what I want to do. I want to build the MTV of the startup ecosystem here based in Singapore. And I want to build it for Asia. I want to give the Asian tech ecosystem a voice. I need partners, I need resources, I need space, etc., etc. And that's great because you get people on board straight away and you scare away the net energy takers, which are the sucks, the people you don't want to surround yourself with. I mean, let them do their thing, but don't waste your ammunition on them. You know, don't sell to the unsold. Sell to the sold. You only have one life. You only have a certain amount of hours in the day and there's only one of you. So invest your energy and your resources in the people who get it because it's so important. So it was phenomenal when Rina and the team at uh, Platform E stepped up because they get it. I don't have to justify myself to them. They're not asking me, oh, you know, what's the, what is a podcast about? Oh, people don't listen to podcasts anymore. Or, oh, you know, we can do this with events. They got it. They understood what the vision was. And, you know, that sort of doubling down of energies is just so powerful. I went to a co-working, sorry, I went to a networking event the other day here in Singapore after Tech in Asia. And uh, it was interesting because I met a lot of interesting people. I love going to events and talking to people. And, you know, I'm, I'm applying this strategy now to tell people what the goal is. And uh, I went to this VC event, so this VC party. And thanks to Michael Smith for the invite, by the way. Michael Smith from C+. Good man. Came along, fantastic venue. Saw a lot of people that I knew there. Um, I met the, the Ekblads from Gorilla Space. So Ginny and Ben, big shout out to you. Chirayu Wadke uh, from Seed Plus as well. Bumped into him. A number of other people as well. Sorry if I forgot to give you a mention. But I was only there for about half an hour. But it was interesting. I met somebody there. I met a... Sorry, I'm talking over the thunderstorm here. So I met... A, um, a lady who was quite young, but she was a venture capitalist. And we had a quick chat and she, she walked up and said, oh, hi, you know, um, introduced herself. I introduced myself. We, you know, exchanged cards, exchanged names and so on. And I said, what do you do? And she told me she was a venture capitalist. And I said, oh, you know, she said, I'm a, I'm a VC at ABC firm. And uh, I asked her, well, what do you do at ABC? And she said, I'm a vice president. And you know, I, I listened to that and I, I wondered, that was a missed opportunity. Because, you know, th this, is, this is the challenge. And let me step back a bit and, and share with you why I think podcasts are the future in terms of business to business or, you know, personal branding. Because you go to a conference and when you go to a conference, people stand up and they give the corporate pitch. And nobody ever talks about their failures or nobody ever talks about the inside or the human angle. It's always, you know, people are quite scared because there's a lot of pressure on conferences, the setting, you know, people are turning up, they're wearing suits and it's all very well structured and organized and people are paid money and so on and PR are there. Nobody ever stands up on stage and said, oh, I screwed up. Or nobody ever stands up on stage and tells you a little bit about their human background. It's all very corporate. And I can get all that stuff. I can get all that stuff from the website. So why waste time going to a conference for that? 
And that's what people say when they come away from conferences. It's like, well, you know, I could have got all that from the website. Nobody, nobody's wowed. Nobody comes away. And, wow, that was amazing. I want to come back. I really felt like I got something that I couldn't have got from the website. It doesn't happen. Everybody complains about conferences, but nobody's doing anything about it. And that's what I want to change. I want to change it because, you know, it's like Starbucks. Starbucks exists, you know, we pay twice as much for the coffee, we wait twice as long. Why? We could go to McDonald's and get it. Because we're not buying coffee, we're buying the humanity, we're buying the human angle, we're buying the fact that the barista talks to you, we're buying the fact that it's comfortable, we can talk to friends. Unlike McDonald's where, you know, the, the furniture's immovable and the, the seats in McDonald's are angled at a certain angle to prevent you falling asleep. I think there's been a study on it somewhere. Somebody help me out here, tweet me here, Graham D. Brown, or ping me on LinkedIn. There's a study done on McDonald's seating. There's hard plastic seats are angled in an optimum angle to prevent people getting comfortable. That's why we go to Starbucks. And conferences are the McDonald's of that world. And networking events are the McDonald's of that world. People giving you the efficient, the corporate, the stuff that we can get anywhere else, it never wows us. And it's just like the lady who walked up to me at the networking event. You know, she, she had the opportunity to tell me what her goal was. She could have said, look, you know, I want to put a dent in the universe. I want to support female entrepreneurship. I want to change things. And this is my vision. Help me do this. But people don't want to do that. People don't want to admit that they don't have all the answers. People don't want to admit that they need help. People don't want to admit they're vulnerable, they're human. But at the end of the day, that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants humanity. And there's been psychological studies done on this. I'm sure somebody will pull me up on this. So I will hack this study apart, paraphrase it if you like from my psychology days, being a psychology undergraduate, or sorry, artificial intelligence and psychology. So there was a study done where they put students in a room and they asked students to evaluate each other. And these were, like any sort of social psychological experiment, they were controlled conditions. So in the first experiment, they put in a ringer, an actor who was good looking, who was amazing at everything, you know, great grades, spoke really articulately, you know, was valedictorian, was captain of the soccer team, et cetera, et cetera. And they put that person in there. And then, you know, they got people to talk about themselves and afterwards they asked the students to rate that person. Then they repeated that experiment. And the difference was this time, even though, that amazing person sat there and wowed the audience, the, the cohort with their achievements and their superhuman capabilities. What they did that was different, and this is really interesting, is they were sitting around the table and whilst they were sitting around the table, they you know, gesturing and they knocked over a cup of coffee and the cup of coffee spilled all over the table and they screwed up. Now, what kind of difference do you think that had on the ratings? And it, this is profound because you would have thought that condition A, so superhuman candidate A, would rank the highest because they were without fail. 
They were able to do everything. They were infallible. They were amazing. They never screwed up. But Canada B screwed up. You saw it right before your eyes. They were klutz. They were clumsy. They knocked over the coffee. Interestingly, when they were asked to rank the, the, the skills, the likability, and the trust of both conditions, the candidate in condition B, the condition where they knocked over the cup of coffee, ranked significantly higher on all factors than candidate A. Think about that. What does that mean? It means that as human beings, we connect with the people who make mistakes. We connect with the people who are human. We are far more likely to rank higher the person who reveals to us their vulnerability than the person who is perfect in every single way. Now, I think about that in terms of conferences and events. We are so scared. We are so scared to stand up and talk about our goals or what we need for help or you know, what we did wrong that we retreat, we build a wall and we hide behind the wall because we think that that is safe. And behind the wall, we hide behind titles. It's like the lady that came up to me and said, I'm a venture capitalist. And I asked her, okay, what do you do at the venture capital? firm she said i'm a vice president she instead of telling me instead of revealing her vulnerability she hid behind the wall of the title and that wall of the title was putting the shutters down it was building a wall between me and her because it was it was a power game it's like okay i'm really important i'm so important that you know you have to respect me i have the unconditional respect of you because of my title look how you know, hard I've worked, look how educated I am, look how clever I've been at my job. However, she missed a trick. And the trick was, she could have said, this is what I want to do, and I'm not there yet. And this is what I've learned at Asia Tech Podcast, is that one of the most effective tools for getting ahead is to reveal your vulnerability and tell people you need help. And I've found that by putting my goals out there. You know what? As they say, the first bird always gets all the arrows. But there's something magical about that. If you can show that you don't give a shit, that you are able to step up and take the arrows, you know what happens? People look at you as a leader. People look at you and say, wow, that person's got something special. They can stand up there and take all the arrows for the rest of us. They can stand up there and they can blaze a trail for us and make it easier for the rest of us to follow in their footsteps, right? So my advice would be, you know, in trying to achieve your goals in business, be vulnerable, share your goals, tell people you need help. You know, it may not work. You know, it may not work as you intended, but I can guarantee that you will attract people who will help you make it work eventually. And you'll scare off the people like the lady who said, I'm a vice president. You're going to scare those people off because they don't get it. They'll feel exposed by the fact you're standing up there and making yourself vulnerable. 
making yourself human. I often wonder when I go to conferences why they take place in the way they do or, you know, why are people wearing suits or why are people reading bullet points off PowerPoint? often wonder when I listen to podcasts as well. Why, why is it that, you know, people are just reading off questions? And why do people not want to talk about themselves on the podcast? It's a missed opportunity. Again, it's hiding behind a wall. Podcast should not be that. Podcast should be everything you can't get on the website. People want that Oprah moment. People want to know about you. They want to know about the backstory. And one of the things people ask me when people come to Asia Tech Podcast and they want to start a podcast and they want a bit of advice and getting started, they may say something like, okay, you know, I'm focused on IoT in India. I'm just picking a random example. Let's say, you know, I'm focused, I want to talk about smart cities in India. I want to really focus on that and establish my authority in that. And I say to them, that's great. You know, however, you've got to understand that people don't listen to your podcast to learn about smart cities in India. People l listen to your podcast to connect with you and to connect with the people that you bring into your studio. That's really important because I can go online, I can go to a conference, I can read a book and learn everything I need to learn about smart cities in India. But what I cannot get is a human conversation. And that's why I'm going to listen to your podcast. So I want to know about the people behind the technology. So let's say there's uh, this lady and she has a startup and the startup is focused on IoT for you know, transport management in India. I want to know about her. I want to know about why. Why did she start it? Where did she come from? What's the challenges that she faced? That's what I want to know about. You know, I'm not interested really at the end of the day in the content. I want to know about the context. And that's what sells, the context. That's what a podcast has to be about. In the same way, we don't buy coffee at Starbucks. We buy the context. Without getting too philosophical, you know, Starbucks is about space. People go to Starbucks for the space. They don't go to Starbucks to drink coffee because there are many other places you can do that. A lot cheaper as well. So in the same way, people listen to a podcast for the humanity. So they want authentic. They want to hear people say stuff that would never be said anywhere else, even if that means saying shit or the F word or whatever it might be. Then they know it's not polished. They know it's not PR. They know it's real. They don't want to hear the stuff edited out. So if somebody screws up, they want to hear that. Okay, there's bits that you might want to edit out because they don't sound good, but... The ums and the ahs and the backtracks, they make the conversation human. And that's what people want to hear. So my vision for Asia Tech Podcast is to create the platform for those conversations. That voice of the Asian tech ecosystem and the studio really helps do that because you can really get intimate conversations face to face when you sit in a round table situation which is fantastic. I don't think you can get that anywhere else. And here's the thing. I, I speak to conference organizers and sometimes they say to me, hey, look, you know, we do roundtables in our conference and why don't we take the audio from that and make a podcast out of it? 
And I tell them, you can't. The reason is, is because 99% of round tables at conferences are shit. And they're not only shit, but they talk to the audience at the back of the room. That's not an intimate conversation. We don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear pictures. And, and what tends to be the case is the moderator sits, and I've done this, and you know, it's shit. I've, you know, the moderator sits in a roundtable situation at a conference. It's a panel. Even worse, it's a panel. I hate those panel sessions because they all sit there facing the audience, not the interviewer, which is what it should be. They sit there, four guys facing the audience, and each guy has a little nameplate, and then what the interviewer says, okay, so we're going to talk about X, Y, and Z, and to do that, let's do a quick introduction, and it's never a quick introduction. They all do like, this is who I am, this is what I do, this is why I'm important. And then the interviewer says, okay, so question one, what do you think? Okay, panelist B, what do you think? Panelist C, what do you think? Panelist D, what do you think? Question two, A, what do you think? B, what do you think? And then, you know, you get the situations where people on the panel say, and can I just say, and I'll agree with, you know, they want to say their thing on top of each other and just, people want to get hurt. And that's just, this is not a conversation, it's falling apart. People don't want that. So to all those people who think that their audio at the conference is good. I'm telling you, it ain't. It's not a conversation. It's bullshit. It's not what we want to hear. I can get all of that on the website. And it's just point scoring in very few situations, that 1%, are those panel sessions any good? And it's real credit to the people on the panel session and the conference organizer for making it work. But these are extreme minority. The conversations people want to hear and this is the conversations about the Asian tech ecosystem that I want to build in the studio or in events. And I want to work with events organizers who get this. Is I want to build live radio shows. Because a live radio show is a conversation with an audience. It's not what we see at conferences, which is panel sessions. So first and foremost, it's a roundtable podcast of which the audience takes part. They can ask questions, they can be involved, etc. They can be a part of that conversation. Those work really well. And I want to do more of those. So I want to do those in the studio. And I want to do those outside of the studio as well. So going back to Platform E, it is so awesome that Platform E has given me that space because I can make this happen and I can do events in Platform E as well and we can do events across Asia, hopefully with you, if you are interested in organizing events in this live radio style format because this is the format that will wow people when they walk away from it. Not panel sessions. Panel sessions are boring. Panel sessions don't work. Live radio is awesome. So let's do it. That's my goal. I'm putting it out there. You know, you may think this guy is a jerk. Doesn't know what he's talking about. Fine. I'm not trying to convince you. I'm not trying to convert you. We just have a differing opinion. But I'm speaking to the people who do get it. The people who want to be on board. The people who understand the power of live radio. Live radio ain't going away.
You know, people said that music would die with the MP3. Well, well, where are we now in music? Music is healthier than ever. People are paying hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to go to live music events. More than ever, people are going to live music events and they are making a shit ton of money out of them. Why? Because people will never get tired of live events. And the more this world becomes digital and online, the more we will seek out the analog and the offline. You know, people say, oh, well, millennials, you know, they're, they're digital natives. Bullshit. Millennials are not digital natives. They are familiar with digital technology. But I guarantee to you that millennials and Generation Z and all the people that come after them are analog beings living in the offline world who use digital and the online to augment that offline experience. And that will never change. And it will never change because the human brain, the human brain has been around for a million years. And in societies we've lived for 20,000 years in societies as we know them. And yet social media has been around for only 15 years, which is less than one thousandth, so it's less than 0.1% of our human history. Think about that. For 99% of human history, and I'm not talking about biological history, which is a million years. So therefore, you know, 99.99999% of human history, we have been living and communicating in an analog world and our brains are built around that meaning is built around that so when somebody says to you that oh you know millennials they're all about eight second attention spans and digital sound bites it's bullshit so you know if that was the case then why would one of the most successful brands of the millennial generation be starbucks coffee you know why would that be the case it's right there in front of us sure they're using youtube you know, and they, they're communicating with Snapchat or, you know, whatever it is that they're using now, WhatsApp or WeChat. But I guarantee, even if you look at kids at school, teenagers, 99% of what they talk about is with people they know in the offline world. And it's about offline events. So they will talk about what happened at school. And therefore, that's meaningful. So my point is, is that, you know, don't listen to the voices of people that tell you that events offline is on the way out. I believe it's on the way in because our offline opportunities, our experiences are getting smaller and smaller. We live so much staring at screens. We live so much consuming video or being gamed by algorithms with headlines. We live in that world that people are tired of that. They want the other stuff. That stuff works, but we want the other stuff as well. And that's where events come in. And that's why I believe in the power of podcasts because that is the only medium left that we cannot fake. You cannot fake a human conversation. So you would have seen all the demos by Google recently. Uh, amazing technology where you have a bot speaking to a human being in a restaurant trying to make a reservation. Wonderful. 
as an AI graduate from the mid 90s, when AI was nothing to where we are now, I look at that and think, wow, this is so amazing. I love it. And that has its place. However, the more that that becomes reality, the more we will seek out the analog, the humanity, the stuff that can't be faked. So, you know, I can fake a call. I can fake a superficial conversation with somebody with audio. I certainly can do it with video and I can do it with a blog post and I can now do it with a book because there's bots which have written 150,000 books on Amazon. However, I can't fake a real human conversation with somebody. I can't interview that person. So somebody interviewed me on Asia Tech Podcast and say, Graham, so yeah, I know um, you moved to Japan in 1995. Tell us a little bit about what that was like, you know, as an experience. You know, how did that compare to coming from the UK? And, you know, what was it that drove you to Japan? And, you know, what were your expectations? And how did you get on with that whole sort of gaijin culture thing? A robot can't do that. A robot can't do that. And it certainly can't measure my response in terms of emotion. It can't hear me if, you know, when I'm sounding frustrated. It can't then signal, okay, there's a really interesting angle here because that robot will think, okay, he's sounding frustrated about that experience. Therefore, it's a negative scenario. Therefore, let's move on to something else, which is kind of a customer service type robot. However, as a podcast interviewer, if I hear somebody frustrated talking about an experience, I want to know more about that experience because talking about it for them is almost therapeutic because they're getting it out. They haven't had the opportunity to talk about that. And they certainly haven't had the opportunity to talk about that in the context of stepping outside of their journey and looking in. And that makes great content where they can talk about that narrative, that arc of the human story, which is as with any Hollywood blockbuster or any story that you've learned as a kid, that arc that we've learned about, you know, where the hero is living a comfortable life and then they're, they're the unwitting victim of circumstances. They find themselves, the, you know, within, you know, let's take the Lord of the Rings. They find themselves as the victim of events. You know, they didn't choose this life. You know, the hero gets beaten down, but eventually they, they have the epiphany moment and they overcome and so on. That arc is what we human beings relate to. And that's what makes powerful content. And that's what makes a powerful story. That's what makes a powerful podcast. That's what makes great events. And that's what makes the Asian century. Because there are thousands, not millions of those stories and people doing this all around us, everywhere. And that's what I want to tell. That's what I want to share on Asia Tech Podcast. That's what I want to be about. I don't want to talk about technology even though this is Asia Tech Podcast, I want to talk about the people who make that technology possible. So I need your help. I need your help in helping me build this studio. I need your help in helping me build these events. And if you're interested in an intern, I need your help. Go and check out atp.show slash intern. Let me just try and say that properly. atp.show slash intern, where you can get details of our internship. Go and check it out. You know, if you want to be part of helping grow Asian Tech Podcast, be part of the Asian Century and be part of 
the Asian tech ecosystem. Go and check that out. ATP.show slash intern. And then lastly, my movement. So I'm here in Singapore now. The next three weeks, Shanghai, Hong Kong, KL, Singapore again. Back here. Events, Shanghai. Hope to do something there. Live radio show that's all to come. And be back to Hong Kong and KL and then here in Singapore to build out that studio and to kick things off. So if you're in any of those cities in the next three weeks, reach out. You know where you can find me. Best place, as usual, is on LinkedIn. If we're not connected on LinkedIn, I'm at linkedin.com slash in slash Graham D. Brown. Can't even say my own name. LinkedIn.com slash in slash Graham D. Brown. Go and check me out. Reach out to me. If you're in those cities, Shanghai, Hong Kong, KL, Singapore, and you want to talk about how we can build this together, the studio, the events, the internships, the partnerships, build the ecosystem, tell the stories of Asia Tech Podcast, tell the stories of the Asian tech ecosystem, and help Michael Bloomberg and all those people understand what's really going on in Asia in the Asian century. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.